0: Covering all aspects of Milwaukee Brewers baseball. It's time for Brewers Extra Innings, the podcast. Here is your host, Matt Pauley. It is time for another edition of Brewers Extra Innings, the podcast powered by WTMJ Mobile. My name is Matt Pauley. Great to have you with us. Things a little bit better this week than they were last week uh, when the Brewers were struggling and certainly the struggles continued into uh, this week as well. However, Things got going just a bit as they were able to take two of three against Cincinnati to take that series, and now they're getting set to return home for a four-game series against San Diego before they will hit the road once again. Before we go any further, as always, our housekeeping items here at the top of the podcast. If you want to get in contact with me, best way to do so on Twitter, at Matt Pawley on air, M-A-T-T-P-A-U-L-E-Y on air. And if you listen to the podcast on Apple Podcast and want to uh, subscribe and leave a ranking and review, that would be very, very much appreciated. I've had a lot of people reach out saying they're enjoying that the post game shows are now being posted on this uh, same podcast feed, so hopefully you've been able to uh, enjoy that as well and still find this. I guess my only worry with uh, everything being on the same podcast feed is that uh, this weekly podcast, which is what the podcast feed has largely been throughout its existence, that this podcast doesn't get lost in everything else that comes down on an everyday basis. But I think people are figuring it out. So we're glad that you are here for another edition of Brewers X Innings, the podcast powered by WTMJ Mobile. Brewers went into the week uh, having lost three straight games uh, after we talked that last uh, last week, we talked after they uh, had the 10-9 win against Atlanta on a Sunday. They had Monday off. They went into Kansas City for a Tuesday-Wednesday series, a Kansas City team that was really, sc- really scuffling at that point. They had their two top guys and Woodruff and Burns pitching, and they can't do anything I well, That's not true. They don't win either of them. That's the bottom line. Uh, the first game was really tough when uh, they, they never had a bat with a runner in scoring position. They score four runs, and second game but just uh, could not uh, do enough from a pitching perspective and then they go into Cincinnati they lose that first game you still feel like things are really going in the wrong direction but again they scored four runs there was a little bit more consistency from an offensive standpoint a little bit more consistency uh, from a uh, from a hitting approach perspective and then they were able to follow that up with 4-3 wins against uh, Cincinnati on Saturday and a 9-4 win against Cincinnati on Sunday uh, our featured guest this week by the way Tim Muma, he's going to join us in uh, just a few moments. Always enjoy uh, talking with him. And uh, this week, it's kind of a, it's very much an inside baseball talk. I think this week we get really into kind of the the approach and the strategy and how you do things. Obviously, the big story this past week uh, was the trade that the Brewers made, where they acquire. Uh, Willie Adamas, and uh, they also get uh, Trevor Richards. They bring him in. He made his uh, Brewers debut on Sunday as he was able to uh, go out. He, had, he pitched well from uh, from what we saw. Uh, two innings, gave up just one hit, one strikeout, no walks. and uh, So they got those two players, Adamas and Richards, and uh, they send off J.P. Feireisen and uh, also Drew Rasmussen. Two really important parts of the Brewers bullpen. has been the uh, seventh inning guy for the Brewers, and and then Rasmus, and a young guy who is still developing, had has a great future in front of him. It would seem uh, you miss him this year for a number of reasons, but you also miss him uh, in the future as well. Uh, just with uh, his the the path that he was on and who he could very easily uh, turn into uh, the acquiring Adamus, it really, it connects to previous trades. It it connects the trade where you went and got Luis Arias with the idea that he was going to be the guy at shortstop. It also is connected to the recent trade, sending Orlando Arcia to Atlanta for a couple bullpen pitchers. And it just, it feels like things have not gone the way the Brewers wanted them to go. Now in many ways, all of a sudden having Luis Arias as more of the utility infielder where he can play second shortstop and third, and this is a guy that, as we talk on Sunday night, is second on the team in home runs. If he can really embrace that role as being the utility guy and knowing that he's not going to play on an everyday basis, I do think it creates roster depth. And no offense to, to Pablo Reyes, and I think Reyes did a really nice job, but having Luis Reyes in that position probably makes more sense, just, and that makes more sense the wrong way to say it. just it creates more depth that makes your your twenty six roster, I think, a little bit stronger. Now, I say that, and we're right in the middle of a period where Travis Shaw is really struggling right now over at third base. His batting average has fallen below 200. He's 199 after going 0 for 3 on Sunday. He did draw a bases loaded walk, so he does drive in a run, and that has been his strong suit this year as he has 25 uh, RBIs, uh, but he has not been driving in runs at the same clip, so he's he's fallen off a little bit. So all of a sudden, if you can platoon Arias and Shaw maybe at third base, where Arias is going to face more uh, of the left-handed hitters. Uh, that, that could be something that could help out the team as well. All that being said, Adamas is someone who should help this team in a lot of ways. His defense is really good. I've said this a lot about Orlando Arcia. When Orlando Arcia was at his best, when he was playing at his highest level, he was one of the best defensive shortstops in Major League Baseball and his offensive profile when he was at his best was really good a guy who could hit for average and a guy who could uh, who could uh, put the ball out of the ballpark the problem was there was no consistency to that like there's people who just heard me use the term hit for average and they're shaking their head at me because he really didn't hit for average and that's true because when you think about hitting for average you think about what somebody does over an extended period of time but he in short, in very short stints, and I guess last year he hit for average when you think about the type of season he had in a 60-game season. But just unfortunately for him, and I, I loved watching watching him play baseball. It's not like I'm trying to trash a guy after he, he, he'd left the team. but and We've talked a lot about this. You can go through the archives and find me saying much of the same things even when he was around. That from a consistency standpoint, he just did not bring the that, that level of consistency that I think the organization wanted. So they made a decision they made the decision before last year that they were ready to move on from him. Now it didn't that a trade like they had for him with Atlanta this year could have happened last year if Luis Arias would not have had the COVID issues and come in late and everything that went along with the 60-game schedule last year. But then this year, uh, having him play a little bit of third base, like that just wasn't going to work. And it got to a point where it became pretty clear where there wasn't a spot for him on the roster. And at that point, they were still committed to Arias. I don't know at what point they maybe didn't feel as committed. The organization will tell you that they've been in talks with the Rays for a while about Adamas. Uh, the timing of it is a little bit interesting because Arias uh, had committed four errors in, in two straight games, uh, or four errors over two games is what I mean to say, and it it, it just – you you listened to Craig Council talk after the game, and, you know, he – It was different. It was just a little different in what he was talking about. Talk about how, you know, if they want to win at a a championship level, you can't have your shortstop going out and making those kind of mistakes and making those kind of mistakes as often as he was being, as as Arias was making them. And then they make the move. And now you got a guy in Adamas who is a high-level defensive shortstop, a guy whose offensive profile really could add something to this lineup, now this year he was he was hitting under 200 when he got to the Brewers. He was at 197. He's got two hits in his uh, first two games with the Brewers, so he's raised that average to 203. But you look at what he's done historically. He has been a much better hitter than that. He hits for power, and also a lot of the negatives on his overall batting average were based upon home road splits, where he was playing half of his games in Tampa and just did not hit at that ballpark, and now he gets to walk into American Family Field, which is a much more hitter-friendly ballpark than where he was at before. So just all of a sudden playing half of your games in Milwaukee should help that as well. Great character guy. I think we've already seen that. Uh, if you were watching the game since he's been around, like you could just his character just oozes out of, uh, of the TV screen uh, with what he's doing. So I think the team's better. I think the team is better with him. Uh, I think the team is better with him than having Luis Arias as the everyday shortstop. I also think the team is better with him than having uh, Orlando Arcia as the everyday shortstop. I think the team is better with having Luis Arias as your utility infielder as opposed to Pablo Reyes being your util- utility infielder. Like, there's just a the, the roster is deeper, and that's the important thing. Um, and, and we'll see. They're, they're, hey, they're 2-0 and since, uh, since he joined the team. It does seem like, and this is a very, very small sample size, but it does feel like the team is hitting a little bit better. I think you can even go back to that final uh, game against Kansas City, the game that they lost 6-4. They, they scored four runs in three straight games, the final game against Kansas City, the first game against Cincinnati. They lost those two games, but then they came back with a 4-3 win against Cincinnati on Saturday and the 9-4 win on Sunday. So the hitting has become a little bit more consistent here recently. It's going to be a test, and it's going to be a challenge to see what they do this upcoming week when they're going to take a good Padre, take on a good Padres team. But Christian Yelich appears healthy. He's hitting the ball hard. He hit a home run on Sunday, had another ball that went for an out that he just absolutely scolded. We're going to see Keston Hero really soon. Uh, I think we're going to see him on Monday. Maybe I'll be wrong on this, but based off what he's been doing at AAA and just the level that he's hitting, I don't know what more he can accomplish at AAA. Now, if there are certain like very specific things they want to have him doing or if they just want to make sure that he can continue to play at this high level, like the Brewers will do what the Brewers want to do. For me, I think... There's a really, I would guess, my bet would be that he's probably active for Monday's game against San Diego. And if that's not the case, he's going to be active before the week is over. Uh, and you just, he's a really important part of this lineup too. And all of us, it's amazing how quickly things can change. Where in a week, let's say Keston here comes back. Now this is the one unknown, because there's no guarantee that here is going to be the hitter that the brewers expect him to be right there that's not, that's not there's nothing is guaranteed about that he does not yet have a major league track record he has not been a high level hitter for an extended period of time at the major league record his first uh, major league at the uh, major league level I should say his first year when he came up mid season he was really good that year but as the book got out on him and his adjustments were made he has not been able to continue to play at that high level The Brewers absolutely believe that he can hit at that level and really carry the team from an offensive standpoint. So if he comes back, and if he is that guy, if Christian Yelich continues to play most days, if the back continues to be in a pretty good spot, if he shows power, hits the ball hard, all of a sudden, that lineup feels very different. And you've got the added lineup depth with a Willie Adamas who can, who can hit a ball out as well. There's, just, there's a lot of pieces that are all of a sudden in that lineup that haven't been in that lineup a lot recently, and it makes me feel much better about what the team can do from an offensive standpoint. All right, uh, this week, our uh, featured guest, he is uh, Tim Muma, contributor over at Brew Crew Ball. We have him on the podcast all the time. We love talking with Tim. Our conversation with Tim starts uh, in about five seconds here. Uh, Brewer, Brewers, expert, podcast, power by WTMJ Mobile. After every Brewers game, signing an announcement, bloggers and podcasters hit the web to give their take. Now we bring them all together. It's the Social Media Roundtable and it starts now. Brewers Extra News, the podcast is powered by WTMJ Mobile. Very happy to welcome back on the podcast. He is someone who uh, contributes over at Brew Crew Ball. Uh, you can find him on Twitter at Tim underscore Muma, M-U-M-A, as you might expect based off the Twitter handle. It's Tim Yuma, who we always like talking Brewers baseball with. Hey, Tim, how are you? Doing great, man. Happy to talk to Brewers. Yeah, and I'm glad we're talking this week and not this time last week when things were uh, not going so great for the team. And a single series win against the Reds certainly doesn't turn everything around and make everything better. But let's start on the positive side of things. And it really feels like to me that the approach at the plate has changed a little bit over the last three, four years Five days, and it's not just about the success at the plate for me. It really feels like there's been some tweaks in their approach, and that has helped lead uh, to, to better results. Uh, agree or disagree with my basic assessment there?
1: It does seem like it's been a little bit different, especially the last couple of days. Um, you know, I even mentioned today that it, it's like swings were better. Uh, obviously, as you said, the results are going to make you feel good about that, but. Um, it, it doesn't seem like it's been an all-or-nothing type of, of case, and and is it because they have made actual adjustments? Is it just uh, you know the ebb and flow of a, of a season that you know they're all sort of out of sync? Um, you know, it's hard to say, but it, it, it does have that feeling. I, I do feel a little bit better about where they're at, and of course, getting guys back healthy and more time and their timing down and all that kind of stuff definitely helps. When you're talking about even you know guys like Narvaez and Yelich. Uh, I think all that stuff kind of works together in their favor and um, as you said, the results are obviously going to kind of be telling when it comes to that, but it just felt a little bit different. Maybe it's the Reds pitching. I don't know, but yeah. the Brewers have faced a bunch of juggernauts in the past. They still they had their struggle against guys who you can't figure out how to hit off them. So maybe something has changed. Maybe there's been more conversations, uh, more video watching, more looking at the metrics to, to let them know, hey, this isn't going to work for us. We need to figure out something that's going to be a better fit for our club and Hopefully that means that uh, going forward it's going to be a little at least more consistent when it comes to run turn
0: Yeah, it's you know the next time I get the opportunity to talk with David Stearns, something I want to ask him is so a team can have a hitting approach, and very mm-hmm. often in current baseball, the what hitting, pitching, whatever you're doing a lot you're using advanced numbers to help determine which path you want to go down, but As you do things a certain way, then the league is going to adjust. What they're doing to the way you're doing, and I kind of wonder when, yeah, how how nimble does an organization have to be in terms of being able to maybe change the approach if it gets to a point that other teams are defending that previous approach, if, if that makes sense. And we're just we're kind of in a weird spot in baseball right now. Uh, it's something I've been thinking about recently, just how the the tweaking of approach as other teams uh, adjust to you, and and how quickly you can do that. And I think every team is probably dealing with some level of that right now?
1: Yeah, it's a tough call because, obviously, you think about major league hitters specifically, and they're here for a reason, and they have their strengths, obviously, and uh, as obviously many of them are world-class athletes and hitters, at least as far as the skill side goes. And you'd think they could make those adjustments pretty you know, quickly or at least you know, work uh, toward a certain change of approach or change in their swing but it definitely doesn't feel like that's what happens a lot in the major leagues, that it's pretty much, these are my strengths, I'm going to stick to them, and uh, we'll see what happens. But to your point, and you hear about this all the time, especially I feel like when, it, when you talk about a hitter who's struggling, where maybe he comes up and think of someone like Keston Hira, where they have success early, and then they say, oh, the league adjusts to them, so now, as you said, now they have to readjust, and maybe that's not happening with Keston, or maybe that hasn't been happening with some of the Brewers hitters that the scouting report kind of, the correct scouting report, so to speak, was out on them, and that's where uh, pitchers are finding hold and being able to to get them out at a pretty frightening pace, to be honest. But um you know, I, I think a lot of it comes down to the individual hitter: how willing is he to change? Um, how much ability does he have to even make those adjustments based on their swing or their their skills specifically? Uh, I so I think it does come down to the individual hitter. As you said, teams are going to have approaches and. Sometimes that's how they build the team and, and figuring out what guys they want, to play the ballpark. Do they look at the numbers, like you said? Um, and I'm curious what role the hitting coach has. I mean, everybody wants to fire Andy Haynes, of course. And you who know, you speak with, you know, the hitting coach has very little to do with success because it's really just little adjustments, like you said. Other people think that that's their job, that they're supposed to get them out of these funks and figure out what works and what doesn't. Uh, I just think there's so many moving pieces and so many variables. And when you're talking over the course of just, a month or six weeks. As we all know, that's really a small sample when it comes to especially Major League Baseball. So I think it's one of those things we tell our kids all the time. There's peaks and valleys when it comes to hitting, and especially I think at the Major League level, to your point, the, the adjustments and readjustments and all that stuff is, is constantly happening. We just don't see it. And uh, the only way we really know if it's happening is when we see results. So I, again, I think that'd be a great question to, to ask every single one of the players as to how. How much of a direct answer you get a lot of times from those guys.
0: Yeah, that's uh, that's the other side of it. They uh, they, they certainly, <laughs> many of them know how to answer questions in, in, in a certain way. Uh, Christian Yelich hit a home run on Sunday, and that was his first home run of the year. Even when he was first starting the season before the back issue flared up, he was hitting for average. He wasn't hitting for power. Mm-hmm. Now one fastball or one one home run late in a game against a kind of a, a, a 3-0 pitch that was not exactly a, a well-placed pitch. Like, that's, that's not going to make a season as well, but I think there has to be at least a, a fair amount of optimism that this guy's played in a number of games since coming back from the injured list, and we saw at least a piece of power from him, and that's something that we haven't seen in a while.
1: And even a couple of his other at-bats, I mean, he scalded that yeah. first – Uh, In his first at-bat today, I was like 114 off the bat, just some bad luck. He had the long drive single up the middle. Uh, So I think those are all good signs together. And I know uh, Rock was talking about on the broadcast a little bit from what I caught. And, you know, let's keep in mind, as as great a hitter Yelich is and has been his career, he has not seen a whole lot of live in-game pitching in the last month to six weeks. You know, it's not that easy to just step back in and hit. I mean, some guys can do it, obviously, but... Um, I think I think he really is still trying to get into that groove, so to speak. Find the right timing, get his, his mechanics together, and it's not easy to do when you're facing live major league pitching. And I think today, again, you can say the results definitely point to some positives, but I, I still go back to just that first at bat, uh, even though he was obviously out in that case. Um, just the way he squared that ball up—that seemed more in line with even what he did last year, despite not having the results. A lot of his, uh, you know, other numbers said that he should have been better, that he ran into a lot of bad luck with just how hard he was hitting the ball and and how many times he's hitting the barrel. So I think that's something you want to look at and and really be happy about. And and even the fact that he's in the lineup and he's obviously I think they gave him a day off yesterday. Um, but even the fact that he's been in there and there hasn't been any word. He doesn't look like he's wincing. He doesn't look like he's having any trouble. I know he's still on the base at least one point Mm -hmm. um, during this little stretch here. So I think all that stuff is you got to look for positives when it when it comes to to Yelich, especially with how rough it's been for him at the beginning of the year. And uh, he looked a lot more like himself, I think, today. And and he's had those moments at least seeing the ball. He just hadn't been making that that solid contact. So again, you get a little bit more time, a little bit more um, you know uh, of those at bats against live pitching. And I think you're gonna see him take off, provided he stays healthy. And 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 uh, you know, nothing else. Like that happens going
0: forward. Yeah, it, it, there's there's some nuance to this conversation as well because you mentioned that first at bat where he did absolutely destroy a pitch, but it was bad luck and it got caught by somebody. And, and you and me, and I would guess the vast majority of probably people listening to this podcast understand that you know how hard you hit a ball is is a better indicator of how you're swinging at times than if it's actually uh, a hit or an out. But I could tell you that there's a lot of people out there that don't that they don't care about exit velocity. They don't care about some of the you know launch angle and things like that. They care about whether or not it's a hit or whether it's an out, and that that's right. all that matters. So I can't tell you how often I have conversations with people where I'll say, "Well, look, this guy's trending in the right direction. Look how hard he's hitting the ball." And as far as many people are concerned, a, a, a hundred and fifteen mile per hour ball off the bat is the, that's caught by an outfielder is the same thing as a slow roller right to second. Like it, it, they're both out, so some some people don't right. differentiate between the two.
1: Yeah, it, and that's a tough part. I mean, game to game, you know, you have the different scenarios and situations where, in theory, a ground ball to the second baseman with a runner on third and less than two outs is actually better than the line out to the second baseman. So, in that case, you want the result versus the process, so to speak. And there are times that I think that does get lost. Um, I think Mattingly talked about that recently, about it's not just about the numbers, but it's about battling at the plate. It's about knowing the situation and knowing the scenarios. Again, I'm not saying you'd want a guy like Yelich intentionally trying to roll over a ground ball to the right side just to score the run. With two strikes, maybe you want to be happy with that. Um, but I, in general, at least from what I've looked at and, and the little bit of research I've done over the past few years, you know, it, it really is about the course of the season and, of course, ultimately someone's career. But if you are continuously hitting balls as hard as he has, and you're hitting them at a certain launch angle. I know that's the buzzword. And you're doing that on a consistent basis. More often than not, those are going to find the holes. Those are going to be extra bases. Those are going to be home runs. And that is ultimately the goal, to score as many runs as possible, and those are what create those scenarios. But I do somewhat agree, again, in those cases where you're trying to win a ball game and you're looking at one run or you're looking at getting a guy in from second or third, that I don't care necessarily. I'll take a blooper over the second baseman mm-hmm. as opposed to that line drive out. So it's, I mean, it's a, you know a catch-22 in some ways, um, but that's what I think becomes the difference of looking at something season-long versus in the game. And I know that probably lends itself to the, the arguments about bunting, and that's a whole other thing. And I'd argue it's just because guys don't practice it. If they did practice it more, they might be better at it, regardless of what you want to look at the numbers and why people think it's absolutely stupid to bunt they're not successful because they don't work on it. And I completely understand that because over the course of a season, bunting a bunch isn't going to help you. It's just in those individual situations that it might allow you to win a game that you normally wouldn't because you get three guys to strike out instead of any of them trying to put the ball in play. So I go back and forth with it. You know, I coach youth baseball, so we're big on getting putting the ball in play. But I, all the time we tell our kids, we don't want you to just make contact. We want you to, to destroy the ball because nine times out of ten, that's what's going to be better for, for you and for the team. It's just those other situations where you change your punch a little bit and that's where I think it's, it's tough to make that sell to visually hitters in general.
0: I'm not a never-bunt guy, but I'm an almost-never-bunt guy. There are a <laughs> sure. few spots where putting a bunt down uh, makes sense. I, I don't think they're, they're, they happen very often. And, and Craig Council talked about this during a recent uh, pregame conversation with Bob Euchre because you asked him about why you don't see so much bunting. And they were talking specifically uh, about extra innings and moving that runner from second to third to right. push in a run. And Council basically said that bunting is so much more challenging now than it was before just because of how hard – pitchers are throwing and you think about those extra inning Mm -hmm. situations more often than not if a team has a strikeout guy available they're going to put a strikeout guy in that in that extra inning because strikeouts are so much more valuable when you're starting with that runner on at second so I, I do I think that's something that people don't think about a lot you know I I got a text message the other day during the post game show where somebody was really upset about something and basically said what's the difference between now and 30 years ago the ball weighs the same you know they're throwing it the same yada yada and I'm like no they're not throwing it the same they're a they're throwing it harder and B they're doing things from a movement perspective that has n- have never been done before like if if there would have been Twitter 30 years ago what we see from pitching ninja on his account like would not have been happening then it's a it, with the technology and just learning what you can do has changed and pitching is completely different now
1: yeah 100% agree on that and that's where I a lot of times go back and forth even in my own head with I understand and I probably I don't even understand but most people don't understand how good the pitching is and I mean just everybody come out of the bullpen and throw throwing 95 plus it's not like you you almost never get a break from the velocity not to mention you said the, the movement and different types of pitches and you know, it's it's pretty insane what the, what hitters are having to face. And obviously there are plenty of guys that still do a fantastic job of, of driving the ball and, heck, even putting the ball in play at times. Um, the other side of it, though, is that's the part where I struggle, where I do believe some of these hitters are just, I mean, they're otherworldly when it comes to hand-eye coordination and body control and mechanics. It, it, I feel like it, it's a little bit hard to believe that a lot of them couldn't make adjustments, now, not to bunting, but just the idea of putting the ball in play where, Again, running around third, putting the ball in play is a, is a really valuable. Sure, a two-hour home run is, is more valuable, but that's far less likely to happen. So that's where I go back and forth, not necessarily on the bunting, like I said, but changing those approaches to situations to try to win a game when it makes sense. I mean, if you're getting 500, 600 plate appearances a year, I think it's okay if you quote-unquote give up 100 of your plate appearances by trying to put the ball in play to help your team win. And again, statistically, you can't prove one way or the other how much that helps or hurts you over the course of a year. Um, but I would I would like to see that side of it more. The bunting side, again, I do agree. I think it's extremely difficult. I, I also believe that if guys worked on it more, uh, they would get better at at least certain types of players where it would make more sense. But I, I wouldn't expect that to ever become a thing again where there's a lot of bunting going on. And I don't think in the long run it does help, like you said. But uh, those people that don't understand how different the pitching is I would love for them to stand in the box against some of those guys just to see, just to see the the mix and the velocity that that these guys are trying to hit because it, it is pretty beyond ridiculous. Like you said, what you see on Twitter just from the pitching ninja.
0: Yeah, the thing I. What I want to see, and I think we've seen this a little bit more, and I wasn't planning on having a, a whole conversation about hitting approach with you, but I, I do think it's interesting. There was a game recently where I think twice in one game, the Brewers moved a runner from second to third with a ground out to the right side of the infield. And that was, it was kind of refreshing. We're not even talking about moving a runner home on a ground, like we're just mm-hmm. moving the runner from second to third. And I do feel like there are times where, in that type of situation, you can go to the plate. You can still have the goal of hitting the ball hard and you're looking for a hit, right. but you can have the approach of still trying to go the other way. So if you don't get a hit, you can still be productive with that at bat even when you get an out.
1: Yeah, exactly. And I think that's where I think it does get lost quite a bit with a lot of players. Uh, and whether it's because you know teams aren't really worried about that and they're focused on the long ball or whatever you you know whatever their focus might be it does seem like it gets lost a little bit. And again, I'm not saying it's that easy to uh, face some of these guys and just sit back and be able to shoot the ball the other way. I do believe, though, they have more ability to do that if they really did, as you said, go to the plate with that mentality. And when you get to two strikes, I think that's all fight or flight. You fight it off, you do what you can. In certain situations, I think you should be trying to just put the ball in play. Um, So I'd like to see that more. And I think teams that can do that, maybe as we see with the the way the run scoring environment is right now and the number of no hitters and everything that's happening, you know, maybe that does uh, you, you get a little bit of a swing back that way for teams that don't have all the power or don't have the, the on base guys. But man, I, at the same time, I, I still like, I love seeing all the pitching. I love seeing good defense. Um, I just, I do worry that if this keeps happening and, and guys don't make the adjustments that, you do start to lose more casual fans because you're just getting no offense whatsoever.
0: Yeah, and you you mentioned the Don Mattingly thing, and I I quote tweeted that the other day, and I took a little bit of grief from people because I agreed with what he was saying, and I had somebody essentially say to me, well, great pitching is always going to be entertaining. And I agree, great pitching is always going to be entertaining, but I would also argue that there are guys out there who are average pitchers who are putting together mm-hmm. great pitching performances because of the approach that hit. And this is more. This is a Major League Baseball thing. This isn't a Brewers thing. Uh, and I'm not – this probably right. doesn't even apply right. so much to the no-hitters because you throw a no-hitter, obviously you've got a lot of good stuff going on. But I'm talking more about the – the Chris Bubiches of the world who go throw six innings and never allow a runner past first base, like, and I know the dude's got a good ERA, but that, I think that was his first or second start of the season. He'd been a bullpen guy, and you know, even Craig Council after the game is talking about not putting enough pressure on the starting pitching. The thing that's hurting baseball mm-hmm. right now, it's not the the bunch of no hitters. Like, okay, that's it's probably not great, but still, give those guys credit where credit is due. But it's it's the guys that you've never heard of who are pitching six, seven innings and given up two hits, and that's it. I think that's what's hurting baseball.
1: For sure, that's a part of it. I agree. Because you you want your elite guys to stand out, I think, when it comes to the pitchers, because that truly is great pitching. And, and to your point, I don't take anything away from maybe some of these guys that are just seeing a boost to their numbers because of the approaches of hitters or because of just the, the lack of, of ability to put the ball in play or to hit the ball well. Um, I think it's a struggle, and I, I, I hate people saying, though, that you know baseball is you know, losing popularity and all that stuff. I don't necessarily buy that. I feel like that's been said every year since about 1908 or, or so. You can find articles that talk about that constantly throughout the history of baseball. But at some point, I do think, like you said, there, there's a breaking point where you want to see stars be stars and you want to see average players be average players. As weird as that might sound, but that's how you really separate the – you know the elite from from sort of the rest of the the ball players, and it's harder and harder to distinguish that. And and part of it is, I do think the velocity and the movement that they create, but also as we've been talking about, whether it was a, a lack of a changing of approach by hitters or or just a, a struggle to be able to do it, it's that combination of things that's making it seem like almost nobody can hit consistently in in this league, and and it really makes it tough at times. I could understand for for the casual fan base especially to watch.
0: Absolutely, Tim Yuma, continuing to join us here on Brewers Journeys the podcast. Tim, so the team played better. Uh, it, it really, I would say their their approach has been a little bit better. Thing they've been scoring what I think four or more runs now in, in the three or four straight games. Before that, they were really struggling at the plate. What as you look back at when they were really struggling scoring runs and things were not going well and they were losing the 13 of 17 and just the small sample size of them playing a little bit better since, are you confident that things have turned around or is, again, it's just two games, two wins against the Reds, and you just got to wait and see what it's going to look like moving forward?
1: Well, the way I look at it, I don't even look at it just from an offensive standpoint, honestly. I look at it from the team perspective, and, and I know they've been pretty bad the last couple of weeks. And I was just talking to a friend who sort of said he kind of gave up on the season, but his expectations are super low now. He said, this happens every year, though. With every single team, you have these stretches. I mean, I quick quickly look back to, you know, 2011, 2018, both those teams, they had bad stretches. They had a 3-11 stretch uh, with, a, like, a 675 ERA from their staff. So I was at the pitching side, but, but this happens. Like, I know, and I know everyone's a, What what have you done for me lately? Kind of society and as sports fans, it's been 46 games. They had a great 27 game stretch right when they were 17 and 10, and then they had a pretty awful one. And where have they ended up after not even 50 games? Right back at 500. So I just I look at it more of a of a peak and valley ebb and flow kind of thing right now. I don't think anything's been decided with this team. I think we know they have amazing starting pitching for the most part. I think they are going to be an inconsistent offense in general, although maybe if they can have guys healthy for a month straight, that would help I and mean, get yeah. guys up in their lineup. Um, you know, when they were really struggling to score, a lot of it was the English person scoring position, which there are times I couldn't believe I was seeing the numbers, like one for 21 in a series and 0 for 11 in a game. And I mean, that's almost hard to believe. It seems like you almost couldn't do that if you tried. So, again, maybe there's a little bit of bad luck there, and they're just in a funk in general. Um, You know, not to put it on one guy, but, I mean, Shaw has been, truthfully, really bad in May, and you had him, you know, hitting fourth and fifth, so he's coming up with RBI opportunities, and when he came through in April, he didn't come through in those spots in May. So, all that stuff plays a role, on top of the injuries, on top of, again, just sometimes your team's in a funk. I mean, they even had some times where they scored runs, and then their pitching wasn't holding up. So, I I, I try try to implore people not to panic too much, and not to freak out, and Uh, obviously it was frustrating. I get frustrated myself. And sometimes you feel like you need a break or a day or two just away from the team to to realize that, okay, you can't watch this day to day and and make decisions on what the team is. And, um, you know, they have a tough series coming up, obviously, with San Diego. And then after that, who knows? I think you got to let them get into the season. Hopefully guys can stay healthy. And, uh, you know, once you get to maybe the hundred game mark, then you might have a better feel for what the team is. I just think you haven't you haven't seen the whole team together and you've just seen a lot of the, the warts from the offensive side that, uh, you know, I think they're going to be there all year, but, I think they're a better offense than what they've shown throughout the course of the year so far.
0: I had someone text in after the game on Sunday, and they said they felt better. They were more excited. I don't know. I don't remember the exact terminology they used, but they felt better about the team after Sunday's win against the Reds than they even did when the team was 17 and 10. The reason being, when the team was 17 and 10, so many guys were injured, and you were just waiting for the other shoe to drop and waiting for them to right. kind of regress back to the record. Maybe they should have had based off uh, who was available. And when you looked at Sunday's game, you had Christian Yelich back in the lineup. He had a home run. Seems like Keston here is really close. I would not be shocked to see him activated before Monday's game right. based off what he's done at Nashville. And uh, if he's not active on Monday, I would say before the end of the week, he's going to be there. I mean, he is swinging it really well right now at AAA. I don't know what uh, what purpose there is at this point in keeping him there unless there's some specific things they want him to work on. And I thought it was a really good message from that texter because I think there are reasons to be more optimistic. Optimistic about the team right now, just based upon their health, than even when they had the best record in the National League on May first.
1: That's fair, yeah. And I saw somebody on Twitter too mention, uh, you know, again, if if before the season we would have told you that Christian Yelich missed a month of the year and Hero was so bad they sent him to AAA for a couple of weeks, I think you'd probably be happy with a 23 and 23 record after 46 games. I mean, if you really I well, those are going to be two guys you heavily rely on for your offense. And you probably didn't expect Woodruff and Burns and Peralta to be this good throughout the you know, first couple months. So all things considered, I, I have to agree. And, and, you know, you look at other teams that have gone through some of this stuff, whether it's injury or just performance. I mean, the Dodgers, you saw them drop off significantly when they started losing some guys. And that's that could be the team that has the most depth and talent in you know, the history of, of baseball, and they still couldn't really withstand that. Um, the Yankees are another team that really scuffled out of the gate, had lots of injuries. Now they're back near the top. So uh, I, I agree with that, that assessment. And It doesn't mean they're going to become world beaters and be the best team in baseball, but I think there's a lot more good baseball to be played with this team than there was previously. And, and to your point with what the texter said, that they have their horses back, hopefully, on a more consistent basis. And if you can get back up here sooner than later, and at least produce a little bit. Because it's not like the guys who have been filling in for him at first base have been amazing either. Uh, if you can just get some production there, plus Yellich and get some of the other guys going on a consistent basis. I agree. I think without trying to be the homer and being super optimistic for no reason, I think there are lots of reasons to be a little more optimistic moving forward and uh, and just understand it's still a long way to go before we get to anything really serious when it comes to the standings.
0: Did you like the Willie Adams
1: trade? You know, I mean, I do from the sense that they're still trying to do things. I mean, there's a couple of things that everybody's talked about. The one, the where does this leave Urias? Um, Even the, supposedly they're talking about trying to get Adonis like the beginning of the season. So maybe they quickly turned to think that Urias is going to be more of a utility guy. I could see him getting more time at third, especially against lefties the way Shaw has struggled. Um, the other part that confused me a little bit was Rising because I really thought they – I thought they liked him a lot. I thought they really saw him as a year in the bullpen this year and going forward to be kind of that middle-to-late-end guy. But I get it. you got to give up pieces to get guys. So, um, you know, I, I guess, like a lot of people, I don't know a ton about Adamus. I know he, he definitely is a solid contributor when it comes to both offensively and defensively. Some people mention, well, he sounds like Arcee. Why don't we just keep him? But the reality is, Adamus has been way more productive throughout his career. Um, and what I've seen so far, I mean, he looks like a ball player. He seems to bring a lot of energy, which some people could say well, it comes with winning or it could be the other way around. Um, and I know my older son who loved Carlos Gomez, he's all about it. It's apparently their best bud. Yeah. So um, I think, I think in the end, you know, the Brewers believe they can, they can bring up different relievers and they can run the shuttle between the minors and in, in the big leagues and they'll have enough arms to figure that side out. So They targeted a guy that they liked. He's got a little bit of pop, solid defensively. And I think if he's a shortstop going forward, then that allows you to move other guys around and use them, uh, you know, to take advantage of certain lineups and against certain pitchers. So I think overall, I I think it's a really good trade just as far as moving forward, trying to continue to to push the right buttons, because you know you have an amazing pitching staff right now that you just want to do everything you can to add a, a few runs here or there.
0: Yeah, so just I'll give you my take real quick and, and see what you think. So I, I like the addition of Adamus. I think he brings more steady defense to the team. He's got some pop. You look mm-hmm. at his home road splits. I think he's going to be a great fit at, at American Family Field, and he's going to help the offense. He's going to create a little bit more depth to the lineup. Um, I, I really like what J.P. Eisen had done I his role was such an important role as the seventh inning guy when you think about the way this roster is constructed uh, where not many starters go deep into games and maybe that's changing mm-hmm. a little bit this year with the way Woodruff is pitching and you know Burns and Peralta and when, when Peralta is able to kind of keep his pitch count under control those those three guys are going to pitch deeper into games than maybe we've seen most Brewers pitchers over the last few years but that seventh inning spot's really important and I think if it, 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 If it's not a Brad Boxberger or somebody else who does that, I have no doubt that the Brewers are going to be able to go out and acquire somebody who can fill that role. I think what – I'm actually more worried about Drew Rasmussen both in the short term and the long term because from a long-term perspective, Mm -hmm. he looked like a guy who was going to evolve into a a high-leverage eighth, ninth inning kind of guy in the short term – Because he had the ability to strike out guys, I thought he was incredibly valuable as somebody that you could use in extra inning games. Because if you're playing a close game and you've already used Williams and you've already used Hayter and now you're going to the 10th and you really need a strikeout – Rasmussen was a guy who could get you that strikeout, and i got to tell you, that's sure. going to be the thing that I'm thinking. That When the Brewers go to extra <laughs> inning games and Williams and Hayter are not available, I'm going to be thinking to myself, man, they could really use Drew Rasmussen right now.
1: Well, it's kind of funny, right, because you can't really have a lefty specialist anymore because of the three-batter rule, but now you almost have to have an extra inning specialist. Yeah. I mean, I like where you had that because that, that makes sense, right? If, as you said, you're in a close game. You're probably already using your top-end relievers, so now you have to – what's he's the right fit for that, that 10th inning because a lot of times that's the goal of, of that rule, obviously, with the runner on second is to end the game in the 10th. Uh, that, that is interesting. That might be a new role that, that teams end up looking for. And um, I mean, I, I agree about Rasmussen in, in, in having uh, a ton of potential going forward. Uh, you know, He definitely had his struggles, as did FireEyes in the last few outings he had. But, uh, yeah, I guess that's something to keep an eye on because, you know, if you're looking short-term – I think short-term, it's definitely a win overall to the trade, having Adamus and, and figuring out the the release side of it, although, like you said, maybe it bites the Brewers with those extra inning games, because you've seen some teams, I think the Twins, part of the reason their record is, is pretty bad is they're terrible in extra inning. And maybe it is because they don't have that guy they can go to to get that key strikeout. Um, well, I'm going to have to mark that down now and, and, and see uh, see how how uh, clairvoyant Matt Pauly is when it comes to those extra inning games.
0: Yeah, the... I I understand the ex inning rule. I don't love it. I don't hate it. It, it brings yeah. excitement in the moment. But I think the one the one thing I don't like about it is how, you know, baseball is a we, we baseball is a sport where so many different types of people can perform at a high level. Like There are different body types, there's different skill sets, and I, I mm-hmm. love that so much about baseball, where you can have a guy, you know, you, you, you can have Corbin Burns and Brandon Woodruff doing their thing, and then all of a sudden, Brent Suter can come out of the bullpen, and you're doing the same job, but you're doing it so differently. And the thing I don't like about the, uh, the extra inning rule is now it's no longer a, an equal playing field, because if you're a pitch-to-contact guy, you are not as valuable in those games as you are at other times, and I I hate that because I just I love the part about baseball where so many different guys can go be successful in so many different types of ways.
1: And that is the interesting part with whatever reason they decided to go with runner-on-second no outs because I think for people who've been involved in youth sports or anything like that, you know, you hear about California rules where you have runner-on-second with one out, so it kind of takes away the idea of bunting, but it also still causes you in ways to actually earn that run um because to your point you could be a pitch to contact pitcher you get a ground out the second base and a fly ball the right field then you gave up the lead right it, it doesn't seem to feel right doesn't feel natural uh that that could happen um, I, i'm with you and that it does create excitement and tension immediately because you know that guy is he's right there you know three shots drive them in or whatever you need and i get that that might help speed up games at least those long ones from happening and then you know, again, casual fan probably likes it too. Um, but I, I am with you in that it, it just, it just something feels off about it, that it. It creates this unnatural, uh, uh, outside of the game or game within the game that, that you're just not used to, to it, even though we've been doing this for, you know, essentially a season. Um, but I, I, it seems like it's here to stay at least for now. And, uh, to your point, then if you're going to have that, you want to have a guy that, that makes sense in that spot. So, Um, All that does is mean that uh, teams want more guys throwing 97 with movement because they want to make sure they have a guy who can strike everybody out.
0: Yeah, absolutely. He is Tim Muma. Make sure to follow him on Twitter at Tim underscore M-U-M-A. Tim, I always love our conversations. Thank you so much for doing this. We'll get you on again uh, real soon.
1: No, I appreciate it, Matt. Uh, Always a pleasure to talk with you, and especially talk some Brewers baseball.
0: That's Tim Muma, and that is just about going to do it for this edition of Brewers Extra Innings, the podcast powered by WTMJ Mobile. Going to be a fun four days coming up for the Brewers as they welcome in the San Diego Padres, a team that they had a lot of success against uh, in San Diego earlier this year. Brandon Woodruff is going to be the uh, game one starter for the Brewers. He'll be followed by Corbin Burns, Adrian Hauser, and then uh, Brett Anderson in the next few games. Watching how Adrian Hauser played, and let me be really clear on this. I've said this on the post-game show. I don't have a problem with how Adrian Hauser, for the most part, is performing from a from a big-picture standpoint. Now, he's had two consecutive games where he's not pitched well. I'm not saying I'm fine with that, but from a big-picture standpoint, his numbers all together, 3-5, 4.53 ERA, he's your fifth starter. He's your fifth starter. I know he's it's not slotted that way in the rotation, but your one and two are Woodruff and Burns, whatever order you want to put them in. I think Peralta's your three. Like, if they're setting a rotation from a postseason series, I think Peralta's your three, Anderson's your four, and Hauser's your fifth guy. So he's your fifth starter. You look at a guy with a four-and-a-half ERA, there's a lot of fifth starters out there that are not pitching to that level. So I'm, I'm, I'm fine with what he's doing. I want to see him turn it around from what he's done his last two starts that being said the Brewers do have options and if he doesn't turn it around if he does continue to pitch poorly the way he has his last two starts they've got a guy like Eric Lauer who they could easily put into the rotation so I think there's a little bit of pressure here on Hauser this upcoming start to, uh, to perform well after his last two starts did not go especially well at all. Uh, a reminder for you you, uh, if you are ever tuning in to WTMJ and you hear Bucks playoff basketball, and hopefully there's a lot of Bucks playoff basketball games here over the next uh, couple months or so, because that means they are going on a long playoff run, and we are rooting for that. Uh, if you find the Bucks on WTMJ and you really want to listen to the Brewers, you can switch over to uh, 94.5 ESPN as uh, Brewers games are bumped over to our sister station, 94.5 ESPN, on nights of uh, Bucks playoff games. So just keep that in the back of your mind in case you are ever looking for the radio broadcast. I appreciate uh, Tim Muma for coming on the podcast. Appreciate you for being tuned in. And we will talk again very, very soon for another edition of Brewers Extra Innings, the podcast powered by WTMJ Mulder. Thanks for listening to Brewers Extra Innings, the podcast. Matt will be back next week with another episode. For all the latest Brewers news, keep listening to the home of the Brewers. News Radio 620 WTMJ.